today on Ag News Daily. There's no guarantees that we're going to see uh, the same type of good fortune this year as far as weather is concerned. So maybe there will be some market opportunity and volatility out there. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by my other co-host, who is on the road today, Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing? Pretty good, Mike. I am on the road. I'm going to Kearney, Nebraska, to speak to the Nebraska Bankers Association tomorrow. Fun. You're going to love it. That is a great, great bunch of bankers over there. I've been to Kearney many a time, and I've loved it every single time. Well, I think Darren Newsom will warm up the crowd for me in the morning. Well, he'll warm them up, or he'll really make them depressed. That's uh, kind of Darren Newsom's specialty. Yeah, right. Then you'll have to come in and uh, you know try to find a way to be upbeat. Sure. I'll do my best. Well, that is good news. Bankers, if you're in Nebraska, go check out Darren and Delaney, two sharp people talking in Kearney. But we've got a sharp person on the podcast today, Delaney. We're joined by our good friend, Matt Bennett, to talk through the markets, talk through the uh, the surprising government reports from Friday, and just mm-hmm. what that might mean going forward for our hashtag Market Monday segment. Yes, that will be good. So do stay tuned for that, Mike. I also want to just tease right into it here because you were at a pretty big event over the weekend here, the Heartland Forum in Storm Lake, Iowa, where they had Democratic presidential candidates Tell us a little bit about that event. Was it important for agriculture to be aware of? Um, hmm. Okay, so I am biased. I want to be open and upfront with everybody right here at the start. I don't trust politicians. I do not trust them one bit. That being said, it was, I think, a really good thing to hear a Democrat candidates in particular come to a rural area, and all five, there were four confirmed candidates, and then Congressman Tim Ryan, who has not announced that he's running but is thinking about it, uh, they all spoke, and they all had visions for rural America. And several of them said that one of the huge missed opportunities for Democrats in 2016 was that they made no effort to reach out to rural America. And so this uh, – this forum was designed to start addressing that, and uh, I think I think it was uh, worthwhile for agriculture. Here's who we had: I, the the list of characters isn't going to be surprising to a lot of our listeners. Senator Elizabeth Warren was on hand. We had John Delaney, uh, Congressman John Delaney, Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota, uh, Tim Ryan, and I am forgetting somebody. Uh, who am I forgetting? Tim Ryan, Klobuchar. John Delaney, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, maybe that was it. That sounds. I, I'm trying to think too. I don't. I don't know of anybody else that was there. I'm looking at my notes right now. This is this is what you get, listeners. This is the kind of <laughs> professionalism that Ag News Daily brings to the table every single day. I, yeah, that's that's all I've got. I thought there were five. Maybe there were only four. Okay. Maybe that was five. I don't know. Anyway, they were all there. Basically, their vision for rural America is we've got to. Uh, We've got to address issues we're seeing with education. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing rural areas fall behind. All of them stress the need to improve community health. Uh, they all mentioned uh, community hospitals were struggling in rural areas. Several of them said that was because Medicaid payments were too low. Um, John Delaney said we needed to see more investment into rural America from the federal government. There's got to be ways to figure out how we can bring digital work to rural areas. And he didn't say it, but he danced around it several times. You know, that means broadband, higher speed Internet in rural areas. Um, all of these were 
were good points to be made. You know, as I said, I, I don't. Oh, Julian Castro. He was the fifth um, former Obama chair of HUD, I believe. Um, you know, and they all had good messages. You know, we'll just see what actually shakes out should either one of any of these folks get the nomination. And then, of course, you know what happens once they get into office? Mm-hmm. Um who knows? But it, it was interesting. If you have a chance, I believe you can catch video of the event at uh, the Huffington Post. If you're interested in hearing what these candidates had to say about rural areas, check it out. Google up Heartland Forum and uh, you can probably find the live stream and get caught up. And uh, I'd encourage folks to do it. We're just getting into the 2020 presidential election. And hey, speaking of that, I've got a manure spreader for sale. <laughs> If anybody wants to start hauling these uh, promises out into the field early in the year. That's nice, Mike. But uh, isn't, that, isn't that clever? Yeah, that, clever. Mm-hmm. I'm going to post it on uh, on Craigslist. And I think I'm <laughs> going to include that. There you go. I like it. Uh, but that was just part of the political news over the weekend, Delaney. Were you paying attention to everybody's favorite freshman representative, uh, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez? Um. I heard just briefly on the news this morning. Why don't you fill us in? So this caused quite a stir on ag Twitter and on Facebook. I saw a lot of folks talking about it. Basically, she had the chance to do an interview with Chris Hayes on Friday and was asked a lot of questions about her Green New Deal proposal and, you know, back and forth about the Green New Deal, cost, et cetera, et cetera. And then at one point, um, Chris Hayes said, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on on agriculture and cow farts in particular? And this is what right. she said, quote, it is an issue when it comes to contributing methane, but it doesn't mean you end cows. It means we need to innovate and change our brain in which they feed in these troughs. We really need to look at regenerative agriculture like these are our solutions, end quote. Um, yeah. A lot of agriculture has taken that look at these comments and said, hey, she clearly doesn't know enough about agriculture to be opining on this stuff, what is she talking about? You know, what, what in the world is she talking about? And that, that has drawn quite a bit of, uh, oh, recriminations, I hmm. guess is the right word, word on, uh, on social media. Good vocab word. Yeah, yeah, there's your, your $3 word of the day. Listeners. Okay, perfect. On Friday for Brett, it was qualm. Oh, qualm's a good one. Yeah. I've actually got a tie-in to the Ocasio-Cortez okay. cow story. All right, let's hear it. Uh, Burger King oh, no. is unveiling the Impossible Whopper. Mm. Basically, it's a Whopper made from the meat-free vegan Impossible Burger, and uh, they're they're going to launch it in today, actually, hmm. at several of their locations around St. Louis. So, listeners, if you're around St. Louis, let us know if you're going to go spend a dollar more on a Whopper and try this thing. Um, according to Reuters, people who have tried it have not really been able to taste any difference between mm-hmm. this uh, this fake meat burger and the real deal. I'm excited to hear from any of our listeners to see if that is true. But um, Burger King said that they looked at making this move because they continue to see uh, plant-based meat substitutes growing in popularity as people grow concerned about the environmental impacts of – and this is a quote from Reuters – Industrial ranching, which is not a phrase I've mm. ever heard before. No. I, I don't know anybody who ranches on an industrial six. I think you could, you know, maybe say feed yards. I'm actually, I'm surprised that the Impossible Burger is cheap enough to be at a store like, Bur- or at a restaurant like Burger King. 
Right. I, I was too. And so this is, these are kind of the facts that jumped out at me. The Impossible Burger is currently served in over 6,000 restaurants across mm. the country. Uh, most of them, you're right, fairly higher end restaurants that cater to an, a more upscale, upper middle yeah. class, uh, market segment. But if the Burger King launch is successful there in St. Louis, it, that, that'll expand it to 7,000 more locations. Mm. So they'd have, uh, what, 13,000 places that you could buy this, uh, impossible burger here in the short term, which those numbers were staggering to me. I do kind of want to buy one just to see if I can taste the difference. Although Burger King doesn't like strike me as the place to go because Burger King already is not great food. Burger King, we'd love to take your advertising dollars. Give us a call. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, well, it is. It's fast food. I mean, you, you don't go yeah. to fast food and expect a five-star dining experience. I, I, I think I know what you're saying. I know. But uh, yeah, so so that rollout is happening today, listeners. Get to a Burger King in St. Mm. Louis. Give this thing a try, so we do not have to. There we go. All right. Well, we also had some other news over the weekend to kind of piggyback off of all of that. News over the weekend, or really Friday, that we did not get to report on the podcast um, because it kind of happened or was confirmed after we recorded, and that was the confirmation by the USDA of 816,000 metric tons of soybeans purchased by China, another olive branch, if you will, here of soybean purchases. We're going to see the next round of trade talks begin Wednesday here in the United States. So that's really the only update I've got there on that. But we definitely saw that news reflected in the in the markets, I would say, today. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, markets needed something hopeful after Friday's government reports. Um, there was another olive branch issued by China on Friday, again, to kind of dovetail with these uh, trade discussions that are starting this week. And that is they have agreed to postpone additional tariffs on U.S. cars mm. going into China. Uh Additional tariffs were supposed to start today. They have now kicked that back, I believe, another 90 days. So uh, there are maybe some signs that uh, tensions are starting to thaw. But uh, but like you say, Delaney, we'll get more information by the end of this week if right. any of this is actually worth getting excited about. Well, not only did did China then push off some tariffs, but so did India. India is was originally scheduled to hit back on March 2nd against the tariffs that we put on their steel and aluminum products. But they postponed any action to April 1st, which is today. Um, and so we're waiting to see. I don't think retalia- retaliation is happening. But uh, that's another thing that we're kind of watching on the docket today to see if they do indeed go through and put in some more tariffs in- onto U.S. goods. Okay. Well, you know, one one piece of good news, one piece of mixed news. Yeah. I suppose that's just the way of the world. That's right. We've also oh. wait, we're also waiting today actually on the Senate to take a cloture vote at 5.30 this afternoon on the $13.5 billion substitute amendment to the already House passed disaster relief version, which includes aid for farmers and ranchers affected by hurricanes, floods, wildfires, and any other severe weather that's happened since 2017. Okay, so 5.30. This yes. afternoon is when we'll get that vote. So we should know tomorrow on the podcast whether or not uh, that went through or not. 
All right. All right. So listeners, stay tuned, particularly our, our friends and family out in uh, Nebraska, Western yes. Iowa, South Dakota, Missouri. Um, I've got just one other piece of news here, kind of mixed trade, looking at the broader economy. Um, not mixed trade, mixed reports, I should say. Uh, we had a report out that retail sales were unexpectedly soft in February, and they're down two-tenths of a percent from what the economists had expected. And the reasons they gave, I thought, were interesting. One, cold weather just kept folks inside. That one makes sense. And two, delays in getting income tax refund checks out meant that folks just didn't have the scratch to spend that they would have had that money got out on time. So they do expect hmm. that to bounce back here as we get into March with warmer temps and uh, mean April. those. Uh, yeah. Well, so the this was the February report. Oh, okay. So in the March report, you're right. Yeah, yeah. That we get in April. Today's April Fool's Day. Do you have any April Fool's jokes for our listeners? You know what? I don't. I am currently battling some kind of horrible illness. I think I've got oh, Ebola. Great. And uh, you know. No, well, it was so nice my brain having is just you barely back. Working. We'll see you later. Yeah, well, luckily, you know, we're not hanging out together. I, yeah. I don't think anybody wants to hang out with me today. Mm, yeah, that's gross. What about you? Any April Fool jokes? <sighs> I don't have one right now. I'm not very good All at right. them. Well, we are just fun I people. Know. Aren't we, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other report was that there was stronger than expected manufacturing last month. So we are seeing... Uh, Perhaps the economy not slowing down as much as was feared when we started 2019, which is good news. And perhaps for us on the ag side, who tend to be borrowers rather than lenders in most cases, the news was good, but not good enough that the Fed is going to start hiking interest rates again. So we are still expected to see some stability on uh, on federal interest rates, which is yeah, I'm excited about it. Okay. I'm indifferent at this moment in time. Yeah, you need to borrow more money, Delaney. I don't know uh, how you can relate uh, to folks in ag. Someday, someday. No, we got to get you over leveraged today. I, I am fine. I need to pay back grad school. That's no, enough no, for me. No, you need to let that ride. Yeah. You need to take all your money. And I, as I talk with Matt Bennett here in just a few minutes, you know, maybe this is the time to start buying some feeder calves, Delaney. It. It could be very well be for other people, but then that means that I'm committed to staying in one place with those feeder cattle and can't travel as much. Hey, so, I, got a, I got a couple lots right here at home oh, that are empty. Yep. You buy them, I'll feed them, and I'll charge you, you know, a very, very reasonable <laughs> lot rent. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, well, we'll circle back around to that discussion someday. All right. Well, do you have any other news for us today, Delaney? I don't, Mike. All right. Well, I am out of news as well. I just think maybe we we got to get to these markets and uh, let folks know where things close today, especially since we got a little green, at least on the green yes, side. Yes, let's do that. Folks, our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zaner Group. Turn in to, tune in to last week's Market to Market to hear their chief market strategist, Ted Seifred, talk about his thoughts on the reports. Or you can give them a call anytime, 312-277-0050. You can reach that entire team of talented folks and uh, tell them you heard about it on Ag News Daily. In the markets, in corn, May corn up five and a quarter cents at 
61 and three quarters. December new crop up four to close at 388 and three quarters. In soybeans, the May was up 11 and a quarter cents, finished the day at 895 and a half, with November new crop up nine and a quarter, finished at 928 and a quarter. Chicago wheat even saw some green. The May contract up five cents at 462 and three quarters, with July up four and a half to finish at 468 even. Jumping over to the world world of livestock we've got mixed or excuse me we've got green trade in the cattle complex april live cattle up 47 and a half cents at 126 1750 june up 47 and a half as well to close at 119 in feeder cattle the april contract up 20 cents at 145.45 may up 10 to close the day at 148.8750 and mixed trade in lean hogs with april up two and a half cents at 77.40 and the May down 32.5 cents to close the day at $81 even. Looking over at the dairy sector in March, Class 3 milk it was up penny at 15.07. Of course, that contract has closed. The April was up 6 cents at 15.67, and the May up a nickel to close the day at 15.53. Without further ado, let's get into our hashtag Market Monday segment with our good friend, Matt Bennett. Well, folks, it is hashtag Market Monday once again, and uh, it's kind of nice to see some green on the screen after Friday's unattractive close. To help us make sense of everything, we're joined today by our good friend, Matt Bennett. He is with agmarket.net, the farm division for John Stewart and Associates. Matt, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on. You know, I, I got to jump into it today. We got to take a look back at Friday. We got to take a look at those reports that came out. Break it down for us. Quarterly grain stocks caught a lot of folks off guard, caught me off, off guard, certainly spooked the markets a little bit. It, what's what's your take? What was your read on uh, on Friday's reports? You know, coming in, I guess I wasn't too awfully concerned about uh, plant intentions number. I mean, as we all know, so much happened in March. The weather was certainly uh, anything but ideal for a whole host of folks, especially west of the Mississippi. So, you know, uh, I knew that number wasn't going to be a huge ordeal. If it ended up being a very large number, I figured the trade would discount it very quickly. But as me and the other guys in my group talked about quite a bit, hey, this uh, stocks number we were hoping would be uh, actually a bullish number. You know, we're, we're thinking due to the weather this winter and and due to uh, how cold it's been, some of the stockyards we talked to, you know, these guys are saying, gee whiz, we're boiling through the corn like it's going out of style. You know, and so in that situation, I guess we, we were just blown away that uh, we ended up 270 above the uh, average trade guess. Uh, you got to keep in mind, though, that we're still 300 million bushels below last year's quarterly grain stocks at the same time. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we're trading higher prices last year at this time. Now, granted, soybean prices were higher as well. We've kind of played, uh, kind of changed the uh, cards that we're playing with, if you will. Uh, but the bottom line is uh, certainly way more stocks than what we thought. But again, we can't forget that we've got more than what, or less than what we had last year by a fair amount. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Uh, we are playing with a, a tighter balance sheet on the corn side for sure. And you mentioned the feedlots burning through grain. Where did this, where is this 270 whatever million bushels? Where are we going to find it? Where did USDA find it? Was the 2018 crop just that much larger than they'd initially anticipated? That's, that's, that's the only thing I can really think that, that we have had happen. So heck, Mike, I guess, 
whenever I look at this uh, this situation, that the USDA dropped the, the size of the corn crop for 2018, uh, two reports in a row, and, and substantially, as you know, uh, you know, and then we come in here for quarterly grain stocks. We know we're going through corn like it's going out of style. And so either the December 1st stocks number was drastically wrong uh, or, or, or they completely missed uh, the crop size for 2018. And so, uh, yes, I think they're still boiling through quite a bit of corn as far as these stockyards are concerned. Do we have as much corn as what uh, has been suggested? I think that we we have a fair amount of corn out there, but the thing that's really thrown a lot of us off, including myself, is that given the crop size we thought we had before, which even wasn't as big as what we now know that the USDA is saying that we have, heck, the basis was pretty good considering that crop size. And so, uh, you know, across the Corn Belt, basis actually performed rather well, uh, you know, compared to what we thought it might uh, with a pretty decent-sized crop. And so uh, moving forward, we've been telling our guys uh, if, if 370 corn, you know, here in central Illinois wasn't good enough to get the corn bought, I know we lost 17 cents on Friday, got a nickel back today, you know, but is 358 going to buy the corn? I, probably not. So I think basis could end up being uh, something that is going to have to make up a little, you know, you're going to have to buy the bushel somehow. Right. So now, now we're at least in the short term in a play of watching local markets, watching that basis game and getting aggressive when the, when the basis starts to, to narrow. Is that what you're, you're mainly advising guys right now? Yeah, basically, I think, you know, if you get a chance to lock in a decent basis level, you know, a person has to uh, uh, be aware that there's nothing wrong with just going ahead and, uh, you know, selling some corn, and then you might want to transfer some of that ownership over to paper. Uh, But we've been advocating for folks even before the market uh, report this past Friday to go ahead and get some sales on the books uh, even moving some of your bin corn, uh, we'd been very much advocates of selling uh, elevator bushels. But as far as the bin bushels, we told guys, heck, yeah, we're interested in selling because basis was telling us to do so. And so, uh, you know, I guess the way that I'm looking at this, uh, the way I'm looking at this is it's a pretty good opportunity for a producer just to stay here, uh, sell a few bushels as you go. If you get a little pop in the market, uh sell a few more bushels but you know i don't want to sell everything right now i do think corn still could possibly have a story uh you know but i do want to get some sales on the books whenever the basis is telling me to get that corn sold matt you talked about the challenges that we're seeing particularly west of the mississippi western iowa nebraska south dakota missouri you name it with all the flooding and and the challenges those guys are facing i i know it's this is more of a what are your thoughts question have we seen enough old crop bushels lost in bin site wreckage to do anything to move the market? You know, that's a good question. I, I would assume that in that part of the world, obviously there's not a lot of corn being used right now. But once ethanol plants do come online, I think it's going to be searching for some of those bushels. And I think regionally that basis could get a little bit warmed up. I'm not going to say it's going to get hot. Uh, but that should feather out to some areas uh, not far away from where you've lost some of those bushels. Now, how many total bushels do we think we lost? I think uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not enough to make a big difference. But as you know, uh, especially in that part of the world, there was a whole lot of storage that was affected either uh, bins or bags. And so, you know, you get that water coming in on a bag, and hopefully the thing stays sealed. But if it gets moved at all, 
the more likely scenario is, is uh, and what some of those guys told me is that they saw some of them crack and shoot at that point, you're in dire straits as far as salvaging that corn. And so, you know, I do think we've lost some, but at the same time, we've destroyed some demand as well. You know, with some of these ethanol plants being offline for a while, people losing cattle that they were feeding. And so I don't know if you're going to be looking at a wash for a situation, but uh, you got to hope that it's at least a wash. Right. Might just be a push over there. Now, yeah, on, absolutely. On the new crop, new crop bushels, looking at uh, these corn, do you have any excitement getting in here and, and getting some things marketed? Or you just want to wait and see what happens with weather as we get a little close to planting season and maybe can actually firm up some intentions? Yeah, I, I, I'm not too awful excited about getting aggressive selling corn uh, right now. We were selling corn in that 405 area. Uh, you know, we'd been there for quite a while, but we were we were only 15%. We didn't get too aggressive. And, you know, I know some people sold a little more than that. But I think as a, as a general rule, most people were fairly shy as far as uh, – selling too much corn our next uh, objective was 418 at this stage of the game you know are we going to have to uh, adjust that lower yeah we very well may have to but i still want to see are we going to get a trade deal put together i'm tired of talking about it but if we are going to get a trade deal put together and we are going to sell whatever it may be three seven ten million metric ton of corn to china i know there's a lot of numbers been floated out there that certainly is going to change things. Uh, in that particular situation, you're still at a, a snug enough stock uh, to use ratio that you're not going to be able to sit here and assume that you're going to have, uh, uh, you know, more than enough corn to go around, especially uh, if the weather is inclement this year. So I'm personally thinking 92.8 uh, is at least a million and a half acres high. Uh, prevent plants been very low the last couple of years and so let's say you do come in here and you plant a million uh, 91 million or less of corn you're going to need really good weather this summer you're going to be looking at a much tighter situation than what people are comfortable with absolutely and you mentioned the uh, the talk of a trade deal continues china's of course back in the u.s this week trying to to put something together it seemed to see some excitement there on the soybean side is it enough to really get fired up or do we need to see some signatures on paper before this bean market can really uh, take any trade talk seriously i'm not yeah it's hard for me as far as the trade talk, taking it too seriously, uh, either way. I mean, yes, I say I want to see this with corn. With soybeans, even if we get the agreement, I think enough people have been expecting it, uh, you know, that I guess I'm not sure that you're going you're gonna to see a huge rally. I think some of that's already in the market. Um, but, you know, as far as soybeans go, the fundamental situation in both U.S. and world is anything but friendly. And so uh, even with a Chinese trade deal, we know they're going to be using less soybeans and soybean meal than what they were previously. I just have a hard time of getting super friendly to the bean market. What's your take on acreage for soybeans in 2019? I think acreage for beans has nowhere to go but up. Um, you know, I think it came in low. Obviously, that was a pretty bullish number, uh, definitely a friendly number for us to look at. Uh, you know, but as far as where is it going to go from here, I think uh, – It'd be tough to assume that bean acres would go down from here, especially with the kind of weather issues that you're seeing, uh, you know, in some of the parts of the world that we're talking about. Now, uh, the other way of looking at this is, is, you know, did corn buy any acres uh, with the report and the way that we reacted uh, from a price perspective? And I think that the number, the, 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 I guess the obvious answer is no. And so, uh, you know, what does that mean for me as far as the ratio goes? Well, I'm probably looking at, 
uh, corn acres versus soybean acres. Uh, in a situation where corn is very likely to go down, whereas soybeans would be very likely to go up. Hmm. So you're content just to uh, just to hang out here, or you, what's your advice to growers then looking at new crop for soybeans? Yeah. You know, we were fairly aggressive selling some beans earlier, um, anywhere between 30 and 50%, depending on the producer. But, obviously, there's still a lot of beans up to sell. The tough thing for most of us has just been getting our head wrapped around, you know, can we make this particular price work, whether we're talking 930 or 940 November beans. Uh, bottom line is, you know, uh, they're just different price levels than what we've seen the last couple of years. Obviously, last year, or last several years, last year we got the MFB payment. Uh, you and I both know it's unlikely. Uh, the government said we're not going to get anything like that. You know, and so the the thing that really complicates the whole deal is that if we were talking a, you know, a 940 cash price for beans, I think a lot of guys would say, hey, yeah, that, that, that works for me. But, hey, this basis has just been ugly as can be. Uh, I don't know that there's a lot of hope that we're going to see the basis get significantly better, especially whenever we're talking new crops. And so um, right now it's a tough game. Would my advice be for a producer who hasn't sold any yet? You know, I, I think you just got to look at your individual situation. You know, for producers we have that that uh, have low cost structure, maybe they own most of their ground or they have crop share agreements on most instead of cash rent. You know, they can make money at six six fifty beans. Uh, but a person who's a more of a high, uh, you know, high cost producer, you know, they're going to be looking at nine dollar cash beans. So it definitely comes down to the individual producer. And uh, I'm not friendly beans, uh, but at the same time, it's awfully early in the game to be selling beans at a loss uh, whenever I haven't put the cur- putting you know any seed in the ground yet whatsoever. That's true. That's true. We've still got a heck of a lot of the season in front of us. Now, before we let you go, Matt, I wanted to get your thoughts, take your read here on the livestock situation. About 15 days ago, we saw a big pop in cattle futures, particularly over the summer that June was racing up towards trading at the $124, $125 mark. Uh, it's pulled back quite a bit right now. What do you think's going on? Well, I, you know, I... The thing to me, it seemed to me like the cattle market got a little too hot too quick. I mean, definitely demand is pretty good. I think from a longer-range perspective, one has to ask themselves with some of the uh, issues we've got going on in China, of course, uh, the first thing you're talking about is that they're going to be important pork. But, I, you know, the Chinese have picked up their uh, consumption of beef significantly in the last few years. In fact, uh, the, most of the estimates I've seen are in excess of 20% over the last six years. So, you know, in that situation, we know that they're going to be important beef as well. And so, uh, you know, for me, long-term, I think prices would be well-supported. But as far as the short-term goes, uh, you know, we typically are entering a time whenever demand is going to be awfully good. Uh, And so I would hope that we'd be able to support prices a little bit better. But I've thought all along, anytime we've gotten into this mid-120s and above, it's an area that we should be protecting as much of that uh, price risk as we can because for most of the cattle producers we work with, uh, you know, the the risk is to the downside there because most of the guys we work with can make pretty decent money when you're getting into that 124, 125 range. 
Absolutely. You know, it's pretty rarefied air given standard movement here in the beef market. Now, on the feeder cattle side, Matt, looking ahead to this summer, particularly looking ahead to next fall into next year, we've seen substantial calf losses across parts of Nebraska and South Dakota and western Iowa. You know, I'm hearing of huge sales right now of way cows getting moved into the market. Does this, is it too early to get fired up about strength in the feeder cattle market, or do you think we're going to see that happen? You know, if I was someone who was looking to be buying feeders, I think I'd be buying them sooner rather than later. You know, it's, it's very uh, it's very disheartening. I just talked to a good client of mine who lost, uh, you know, he's lost 50 head of feeders uh, this year, and they only raise uh, uh, a little over 500 head. Of, they've got 500 cows, and so, you know, obviously 10% of his calf crop, I mean, uh, gone. I mean, that that's a tough game, but... Yes, uh, whenever it's it's time to be looking at feeders or even locking in a little bit of uh, uh, if you know you're going to be buying feeders, I'm not so sure that I wouldn't be buying a few uh, on the board. And that's not something I've typically done, uh, but I'm, I'm like you. I think that there's a, a real chance on down the road that this feeder cap market can get, uh, it could get pretty worked up. Now, uh, how, how uh, much are we going to go? I mean, that, that's the tough game. I mean, the last couple, three years, and I know I've, I'm sure I've talked to you about this before, but the cattle producers basically had to go step out on a limb of faith, you know, uh, because they couldn't buy the feeders in the in the corn and then sell the deferred markets in the cattle because, you know, all the money was in the front months. And so, uh, you know, to me, I, I sure don't want to be buying feeders much higher than what I'm looking at on the board today, but I, I don't know that, that you can really expect feeders to get much cheaper than where they're at, given the same things that you and I both discussed. You bet, and especially if you're right about China stepping into the beef market, there's there's increased demand on top of potential little tighter supply. Yeah, that that could result in some firecrackers. Uh, before I let you go, yeah, Matt, absolutely. final question: the hog market, that unbelievable rally we had running all the way up there into the mid 90s over the summer. We've since pulled back. Was that the same story? Did we get a little too carried away too early on African swine fever concerns in China, and now we're, we're maybe being a little more realistic? You know, that, that, that very well could be the case, but nobody seems to know. Uh, similar to uh, nobody really knew how much corn was in China, nobody knows what the losses are in China. You know, I mean, you've got provinces that are talking 35 40% loss, and uh, you know, in one of those particular provinces, they've only had one reported case of swine fever. And that, that math doesn't add up very well for me. But, you know, uh, nobody can really get a handle on just how much pork, uh, uh, you know, swine, pork, whatever you want to say. But I'm talking the Chinese love eating pork, as we know. And there's 1.3 billion people that continue to eat more protein. So if you're going to eliminate as much, uh, as many pigs as what they've eliminated, they're going to end up happening pork, a fair amount of pork off of us. So, yes, we probably overdid the market uh, in the short run. I can't say that I'm bullish as far as lean hog futures are concerned. But, man, I don't know that I'd want to be selling them either. All right. But you wouldn't tell me to run right out and buy some, some June futures at 88 and a half. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not going to tell you to buy or sell because the bottom line is it's pretty tough to figure out right now. But uh, that's a volatile market. I mean, uh, but the problem problem you see, uh, you know, that we've seen here lately is that whenever people see uh, hogs or, or cattle or whatever it is rallying sharply uh, for 
several days in a row. They want to get in on the action. And typically, whenever you've heard about it, if you're not trading it, uh, on, uh, typically uh, you've heard about it too late in the game. And so, um, I, yeah, I've got no desire to be trading uh, lean hog futures right now on either side of the coin. Gotcha. You know, my dad always used to say, if you're reading about something new in the New York Times, you're too late to the game. And I know they've covered both both cattle and hogs here over the past couple of weeks, so I, I think I've missed my buying opportunity. I think you did. Yes, I did. Matt, before we let you go, any final thoughts for producers that you really want to have them uh, uh, keep in mind here as we get into planting season? Yeah, I do. I, I will tell you that Friday kind of let the wind out of everyone's sails. I mean, that was a very depressing report, and uh, I know a lot of folks are frustrated. Uh, we've been looking at tight margins. Uh, I know the ERS said we we're going to have 10% higher uh, uh, farm net income, total farm net income for 2019. It sure doesn't look like that right now, but again, it's early in the year. I hope the guys don't get too disheartened because, uh, you know, a lot can happen, and we've sure got to hope that. Uh, uh, that we see some positive developments come in here. I don't wish ill will on anybody, uh, but Mother Nature has been awfully good to us several years in a row. Uh, there's no guarantees that we're going to see uh, the same type of good fortunes this year as far as weather is concerned. So maybe there will be some market opportunity and volatility out there. I just don't want guys to get too down in the dumps. Uh, it's awfully early in the year yet. It sure is. Keep your heads up, everybody. Matt, if our listeners want to get in touch with you or your team, what's the best way to do it? You know, uh, agmarket.net, our website there, uh, you know, it's a good way to get a hold of me, uh, get a hold of me on my, uh, on my office phone number that's posted there on the website as well. So, uh, our team, uh, all, uh, will be able to answer, uh, the general line. Uh, but if they want to get in touch with me, just, uh, they don't catch me on the phone, just ask for me and one of the guys will get them in touch with me. Fantastic. Matt Bennett, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, always enjoy my conversations with Matt. If any of you listeners have enjoyed those conversations as well, give him a holler. Uh, he's a great guy to talk to. He's always got great perspective. And uh, Delaney, what are we doing for tomorrow? Mike, you tell me. You did the Tech Tuesday interview. Oh, I did. I've got to quit being so ill. My brain is just oh, not working. Man. We are having a fantastic conversation with uh, Ramey Schmaltz from Decisive Farming. So, folks, stay tuned. They've got some pretty cool products that uh, we're going to talk to them about. Uh, be sure to tune in tomorrow. Delaney, if listeners want to catch up on things when I am of right mind, <laughs> uh, how should they go to do that? Absolutely. We've had a lot of great content on the Ag News Daily Podcast here over the past couple of weeks. You can listen to any of those episodes at globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily. You can also listen to them wherever you get podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, etc. And you can always interact with us on Facebook and on Twitter at agnewsdaily. For any ideas or suggestions you have about things that we should be covering on the podcast. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 